everyone. Welcome to the Good, the Bad, and the Absurd podcast. I'm your host, Tiffany, aka Opinionated STEM. I am so glad to have you all back with me again this year. So let me first say, Happy New Year, okay? Happy New Year. I don't know about you, but I was so over 2023. I am ready for 2020 more. Shout out to Mary because she made that up, but I'm going to take it and run with it all year long. Um, So I was going to do another episode before the year ended, but then I felt like, you know what, let me just let everybody rest, enjoy their holiday, and kind of get ready for that new year, me included. Drop a line and let me know how your Christmas and your New Year's or any, whatever um, you celebrate, your holiday, how was your, or your, your restful, whatever you celebrate, or if you don't celebrate anything, how was your time off? Because I know your job gave you time off, right? So tell me about that. Um, so let's kind of get started, right? So this this episode actually was going to be for before um, Christmas because it kind of goes in with that, you know, I'll tell you why in a minute. But I figure, you know what? I know a lot of New Year's resolutions are going to be about this too. So let's just go ahead and get it for the new year because I don't think anybody's going to listen to any advice we have to give health-wise when it comes to the holidays, right? It's too much good food and good treats to go around, okay? So this episode is from the first bite. Our sense of taste helps us pace our eating. Now, yes, one, it's research, right? So that's what the, the data is is showing. But I have my own theory about this as well, which pretty much goes with the science, but I kind of think it's common sense for me as well. So the uh, journal article that I'm going to reference is Sequential Appetite Suppression by Oral and Visceral Feedback to the brain stem. Um, and I'll drop that journal article for those of you who want to go more in depth in the actual manuscript that was published um, and so this was by the UC San Fran um, researchers, Dr. Zachary Knight, who is a UCSF professor of physiology. And, you know, this kind of goes back to when we talk about our eyes are bigger than our stomachs, right? Our moms and dads always told us that when we were little, like, we would want all the candy, we want all the food, right? And we know we can only eat a little bit. I'm still like that to this day. I can put so much on my plate and I will eat like three bites and then I'm full. But I'll keep going back all day long. So I'm not a quitter, okay? But there actually is some truth to that, right? So there was a small scale study back in 2018, even though, again, I said our mommies and daddies have been telling us this. This goes back generations about our eyes being bigger than our stomach, right? We're so smart that we don't even realize it, right? The things that we we know, that come to us naturally or generationally. And then when science comes to prove it, it's one of those things. But anyway, I have a whole nother story about that too. It was about this whole um, Native American tribe and how they solved this mystery um, that scientists couldn't solve. But that's another thing. I might drop, drop an episode uh, about that as well. But there was a small scale study back in 2018 that detailed how dopamine release, right? And that's what gives us that good feeling. So when we eat something good, that dopamine release, right? But how it affects not only our food intake, but the volume of our food intake. Now think about it, right? I'm going to put Oreos as an example. And believe it or not, even though I always talk about Oreos, I did a podcast episode on Oreos and I eat Oreos religiously. I'm not really that much of a sweets person. It seems like I am, but I really don't crave sweets all that often. But when I eat an Oreo, right? Or maybe even a piece of cake. I love like a pound cake with some icing on it or a red velvet cake. Oh my God. See, or a cupcake. See, I'm getting there. See, seems like I don't have a sweet tooth, but I probably do. But the moment I taste one instantly, it's so good to me. By the time I realize that I'm full, I have eaten literally a whole row. 
And I'm not talking like a whole sleeve, right? And I get, I can get a family pack of Oreos. And I've been known, I've been known to eat a pack of Oreos in one sitting. Now it might take me like an hour or an hour and a half, but I've done it where I can eat a whole pack of Oreos. And by the time I get so full where I almost feel sick, they're gone already. So this study kind of goes with that, right? Where basically what they, what they show, and this is with, um, Max Planck Institute of Metabolism Research in Germany. The researchers there talked about two peak dopamine releases when we're eating, right? So the first release, almost goes with the Oreo, occurs um, in the brain region that's associated with reward and sensory perception. So the moment I eat an Oreo, my reward center and my sensory the sensory region of my brain is already getting that good feeling. The dopamine releases and it's like, oh, Tiffany, this is heaven. Okay. That's what I'm feeling. Right now, the second release occurs post ingestion, right? So now it's already in my stomach, but by then it's too late. Literally it's too late. Um, so what happens then is that the dopamine release is involved around higher cognitive functions of our brain, right? So again, if I first eat that Oreo, all I'm thinking about is how good it is and how good I feel. By the time I ingest it and now the release is going to that more cognitive part of my brain where I can really, you know, discern, okay, Tiffany, you should probably stop eating right now because you already had five Oreos, right? It doesn't do that. It doesn't do that. No, no, no. Um, by that time, it's too late. I already had a whole sleep. I told you. So uh, what they did with this particular study, um, they were uh, doing it around milkshakes, right? So the volunteers craving or desire for a milkshake was proportionately linked to the amount of dopamine release in the brain areas at the first tasting. Again, right? I don't think it's common sense, but it really is common sense, right? Why if when you first eat something and we do this, you close your eyes, you get this like seductive feeling. That's the feeling you want to stay in. And that dopamine release does that so much for you at the beginning. By the time you ingest it, and then the dopamine release is going to that function of your brain where it's like, okay, you might want to slow down. It is too late. And the brain is so smart, but you don't even know how to tell me to stop eating before it's too late. Um, so the bottom line with that study from 2018 is that the higher the craving, the less delayed post-ingestive dopamine was released, right? That's, it's, that's what it is, right? So again, if I have this craving for Oreo, craving for cake or even whatever, whatever I'm eating, even if it's regular dinner food, if I'm so hungry, seafood, I love seafood, right? By the time, that's why we, that's why we have buffets, right? That's why we have all you can eat or, you know, by the pounds, right? That's why we do that because, you know, when we're a society where we eat too much, but so that's the bottom line, but the below bottom line right below that is that this gives insight on to obesity and weight gain. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Right. I mean, there is a scientific component to why we gain weight and it's not just, Oh, you need to learn how to control your eating. Well, it's not that simple. And I think people who have been overweight, me included, understand that. Right. Um, it's, it's not that easy, but you know, there is some science behind it. And I think it gives credence and credibility to all of us who um, are in that, you know, tug of war with our weight, right? But I do think we should find happiness no matter what our weight is, right? As long as we, you know, feel healthy and, and are healthy considering, right? Considering. So let's talk about some facts about obesity, okay? These are all facts per the CDC, Centers for Disease Control and Prevention. And I don't know why they have not changed the name yet. The CDCP or CDCNP, because that's what it is. 
Centers of Disease Control and Prevention, right? Because we want to prevent. And I think that was something that was lacking a long time ago, right? Decades ago, um, that we always treat something instead of preventing it, right? That's why they added that on. So obesity prevalence in the U.S. is 41.9%. Almost 50% of people in the U.S. are obese, right? And again, we won't get into that, what obese is. I'm going to go over BMI and all of that, but we all know you can be a higher weight and be healthier than someone who is smaller at a lower weight, right? So it's just, you know, I, I think physiology is very complex. And, you know, when you put these numbers together and you make these formulas, you, you almost have to fit into a certain box. And I, I don't think one that's fair. And I'm not a scientist, but I don't think that's scientifically sound to put everybody in a box to say, if you're within this range, that you're going to be healthy. Because we've seen it time and time again, when we lose people who are seemingly healthy, based on all of the parameters set by medical and scientific and research professionals. But there's no explanation for that, right? So anyway, Obesity-related conditions include heart disease, stroke, type 2 diabetes, and certain types of cancer. And I won't get into that, but you know I'm all about health equity and disparities. And there are certain ethnic groups who have heart disease, higher incidence and mortality rates of heart disease, stroke, type 2 diabetes, and certain types of cancer, right? Um, and that goes again into what I want to do more research on, on why certain ethnic groups have these higher, one, obesity rates and higher obesity-related conditions. Right, because you know that's one thing too. Maybe in 2024, I'm going to be on that. So if you're listening, I want to be on your panel. Okay. Um, so these these conditions are among the leading causes of preventable and premature death. I mean, it's it's um it's one of those things, right? But this actually is going to be a kind of lighthearted episode, so I'm not going to get too deep into that. But this is true. Let's talk about money because everything comes down to money, right? And we know how much research and development R and D spends, right? We know how much the pharma industry, trillions, well, that's a profit. They spend billions and they get trillions back. So their return investment um, is, is very good because as long as we're sick, and this is nothing against pharma industry or medications or therapies or any of that, but the more you're sick, the more money pharma companies are going to make. That's just the bottom line because their bottom line is selling drugs that are on market, right? So there's that. All right. The estimated annual medical cost of obesity in the U.S. was nearly $173 billion in 2019. Okay. Obesity-related medical costs were $173 billion. That was just in 2019. Now, imagine in 2020 and 2021, when we were all stuck at home, and all we were doing, eating, drinking, all the things that are not good for you, not getting around, not going outside, not getting that exercise we need unless you bought a Peloton. But again, who can afford that? Peloton, unless you want to send me a free one. I can't afford you, but that's neither here nor there. Um, but So medical costs for those adults who had obesity were $1,861 higher than medical costs for people at a healthy weight. So basically, obesity-related medical costs were $173 billion, but per person, if you were considered obese, you spent on average almost $2,000 more on your medical care than someone who was at a, quote, healthy weight, right? And that means a lot because, again, when you think about, I don't want to go into disparities again, but when you think about obesity and health equity and health inequity and access and resources and all of those things, most of the people that are obese cannot afford this $2,000 more. We can hardly afford the actual copay, right? So, you know, we've got to think about that too. So when we think about our health, you know, it all ties in together. It's all ebb and flow, right? All of that kind of goes in together. 
Now, I didn't say I was going to bring it up, but I already put it in my notes. So, here we go. Obesity is disproportionate by race. 49.9% uh, Black, followed by 45.6% Hispanics and socioeconomic um, status, right? That's how these disparities work. And, you know, again, it's complex, and maybe I'll break that down Um you know, maybe another episode or as I go out throughout my life in 2024, trying to break that curse of health inequity. Um, so let's talk about what is a healthy weight? Um, you know, I've been obese. Um, I don't know if you know, but I don't mind sharing because I think sharing is caring. I have had um, weight loss surgery. I had it over 10 years ago at this point. Um, it's done well for me. I'm happy with it. I think it was the best thing for me. It was not a get out of jail free card. Um, I had complications, nothing that required me to go back into the hospital or anything like that, um, but just how to relearn my eating habits, right? And it was a tool for me to learn how I need to eat and how that affects my body and you know the way I move. It really did. And so I don't mind telling people that because I don't walk around like, oh yeah, I was born, you know, this healthy weight. I think even right now I'm still considered, you know, not obese. I think I'm, I might, I'm not a healthy weight. I don't think, I think the last time they told me I might've been like a little slightly overweight, but honey, forget that. I was whatever. So, um, so I think, you know, with that to say, you know, in your weight loss journey, I know Ozempic is a big thing right now. And every time we look at a celebrity, we're like, did they take Ozempic? Did they take it? Did they not? Whatever works for you, as long as you don't abuse it, okay? I'm all about getting healthy. Um, and you do feel better. So, I mean, it's all about that too. So, if you feel better, you look better, and you are better. So, like, all those things work in tandem. Um, but let's talk about what a healthy weight is. Okay, I know I get on tangents, but it's 2024, and I'm excited to see y'all in my hair, right? Come on. Um, so, let's just say if your body mass index is 18.5 to 24.9, it falls within a healthy weight range. So if your BMI is 25.0 to 29.9, it falls within the overweight range. If your BMI is 30.0 or higher, it falls within the obese range. And I know when I was overweight, I was over 30, right? Um, but I had no other comorbidities. It was really weird. Like my cholesterol was good. Like my, everything was good. All of my tests, my lab tests, my blood tests came back normal. I just like to eat. Right? I just like eating. Um, but anyway, that's that. So now on to this new study, right? You thought I was just talking about that one from 2018. No, I'm talking about a new study, right? The results just came out, I think right around, right? Maybe the week before Christmas. I think that's when I saw this article. So this kind of gives um, a little more insight, right? Because they haven't really researched this yet, right? So our sense of taste that pulls us back from the brink of food inhalation um, on a hungry day, right? Stimulated by the perception of flavor, Oreos, a set of neurons, a type of brain cell, leaps into attention almost immediately to curtail our food intake. Now, who knew this? So this is what the researchers are saying, right? They're saying, quote, we've uncovered a logic the brainstem uses to control how fast and how much we eat using two different kinds of signals one coming from the mouth and one coming much later from the gut, which we know that because we talked about that study earlier, right? How they have those two dopamine releases, right? Um, so studies in the 70s and 80s, um, and even that one from 2018, um, suggested that the taste of food may you know, restrain how fast we eat. Still, it's impossible to study the relevant brain activity during eating because the brain cells that control the process are located deep in the brainstem, making it hard to access or record 
um, even if an animal's awake, right? No, not even if, if an animal is awake. So if you're eating and you're trying to measure, you know, this in the brainstem, it's, it's impossible to do because you can't do it while you're awake. So, but there are new technologies, come on. Um, new technologies developed by lead author, Dr. Trong, a graduate student, um, allowed for the first ever imaging and recording of a brain structure critical for feeling full called the nucleus of the solitary tract or NTS and an awake active mouse. Okay. So there's a new technology or new technique, sorry, not technology, a new technique that was developed that allowed for the first ever imaging and recording of a brainstem structure critical for feeling full called the nucleus of solitary tract NTS and an awake active mouse. So now they're able to actually measure this in something, someone that is awake. So he used these techniques to look at two types of brain cells that have been known for decades to have a role in food intake. So what the team found is that when they put food directly into the mouse, mouse's stomach, brain cells, okay, so we're going to get, we're going to get a little scientific right here, okay? So the team found that when they put food directly into the mouse's stomach, brain cells called PRLH, prolactin releasing hormone, were activated by nutrient signals sent from the GI tract in line with traditional thinking and the results of prior studies. Okay. If you need to rewind it, rewind it and run it back. Okay. However, when they allowed the mice to eat the food as they normally would, those signals from the gut didn't show up. Instead, the PRLH brain cells switched to a new activity pattern that was entirely controlled by signals from the mouth. This kind of goes into it as well, right? This kind of goes back into it all. So um, drugs like Ozempic and Wagovi act on the same region of the brainstem that this technology has finally allowed researchers to study. So now we have a way of teasing apart what's happening in the brain that makes these drugs work, right? That's a quote. And so, you know, it's kind of still going into that, into that same um, finding, the same idea, same concept. But now they were able to actually see that with this technique where they were able to measure this right deep in the brainstem of a mouse that was alive. And, and also, again, because now it shows this um, is the same region where Ozempic and Magovi act. So I'm pretty sure researchers, you know, have been on this for for years. And that's how they are in a lab and developing these drugs um, to target. All drugs are, for the most part, a targeted therapy, right? Your head hurts. We want to go to that part of, you know, your body, your brain that's going to help stop that. If you have pain, we want targeted therapy to do that. If you have cancer, we want targeted therapy to go directly to this tumor cell. So, you know, that's what Ozempic and Wagovi is. And I know we give it a bad name. Again, it's not my fault. I think I love celebrities. I love you all. But you took Ozempic and ran with it. You made them a gazillion dollars last year. Okay. I just want to say, you know, so that kind of just, again, goes into all those things about how we eat, how we um, not even digest food, how our brain reacts to it, right? Um, I know I use Oreo, but think of your favorite food and when you know that you've had too much. And if you're on, I don't want to say a diet, if you're on a healthy way of eating or you have a resolution, what what are you going to do to help yourself curb your eating um, habits, right? If it's eating too much, if the volume is your problem. 
So with that being said, um, I want to, again, wish you a very, very happy new year. I can't wait to see what we have in store. I'm pretty sure research is going to be going through the moon this year. So I'll be here to see you every week with some great things. Hope that until next time, you know, make sure that you follow me on all my socials. I'm at Opinionated Stem. I'm heavy on Instagram, heavy on LinkedIn, Tiffany Drummond, and I'm heavy on um, Facebook. I'm trying to get into Twitter still. I'm not really down with X, but I have one, but I don't have anything there. Um, and that's it. So drop a comment. Let me know what you think. If you have any research ideas that you've seen or read about and want me to expand on, if you have any questions about clinical research in general, please feel free to let me know. And I look forward to a great year. Until next time, peace.